Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Italian-American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian-Americans learn about their heritage. We do that by speaking to Italian-Americans in all different age ranges, professions, and locations. And this is our first episode of 2018. Happy New Year. I hope you enjoyed the holidays with your family. The holidays, especially the Christmas holidays, are usually very fun for Italian-American families. Big gatherings, lots of food, lots of seafood. And that's exactly what we had And uh, it was wonderful And we're excited for a new year 2018 is upon us What are your goals for 2018? How will you deepen your heritage? And I hope you take advantage of the several resources That we have to help you do that I'm your host, Anthony Fasano And I have some really interesting guests in today's episode, which I'm going to tell you about. But please do remember at ItalianAmericanExperience.com, we've created plenty of resources for you. We've got the podcast episodes that are all free. This is episode 57, so there's plenty if you haven't listened to the other ones yet. We've got articles, written articles. We've got a community If you go to italianneighborhood.com, you can get into our new neighborhood, a place for Italian-Americans. We're growing a private community on Facebook that's intimate, it's small, but we share a lot of our uh, family traditions and our thoughts on our culture and tips for learning Italian and other things. Um, Also, my book is also on our website under book which is 40 Days in Italy con la mia familia. So if 2018 is the year that you want to connect deeper with your heritage and you want to do some research and find your family in Italy potentially and learn Italian and go visit them like I did, you can go to Amazon, just Google 40 Days in Italy and get a copy of my book and it's all laid out for you right there. So again, I've got two really interesting guests for you today. For our main segment, I speak with Dan Yaccarino, an internationally acclaimed author-illustrator with more than 30 books to his credit. But we're going to talk about one of his books specifically called All the Way to America, The Story of a Big Italian Family and a Little Shovel. It's just a brilliant book. Dan's a great guy. And the story in the book is very moving. And if you have kids or grandkids, you have to get it for them. My kids absolutely loved it. I've read it to them several times already. Then in the story segment at the end of the episode, I speak with Thomas Gambino. He is the author of the book, The Scattered Italians, Reflections on a Heroic Journey. And you have to listen to this segment. You have to hear the story that he tells about this dream that literally took him back to Sicily. It's unbelievable. When I talked to him a few months ago and he told me the story, I said, I'm getting you on the podcast because our listeners are going to absolutely love it. And I promise you will. 
All right, so before I introduce our first guest, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, Mediaset Italia, which is now on DirecTV from AT&T. When your heart is in Italy, but you're here, you can bring a piece of Italy home. Introducing Mediaset Italia from DirecTV. It's perfect for anyone who loves all things Italia. Enjoy all your favorite Italian programs from channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4 on Mediaset Italia. And best of all, you get your favorite entertainment, including shows like Caduta Libera, Mattino Cinque, and Squadra Antimafia. Feel like you're home again with Mediaset Italia on DirecTV from AT&T. Introducing Mediaset Italia from DirecTV. You can get Mediaset Italia for $10 per month plus taxes. Just call 877-778-4794 to get Mediaset Italia from DirecTV. Again, that's 877-778-4794. Mediaset Italia requires activation of a qualifying base package. Hardware available separately at additional cost. Programming subject to change at any time. Other fees, restrictions, and conditions apply. So call for details. And as I always say, listening to watching TV in Italian is really, really helpful in bettering your Italian language skills. And I know many of our listeners are learning and want to continue to learn. All right, so now I'd like to introduce our first guest for today's episode. Children all over the world know Dan Yaccarino from his children's books, his Parents' Choice Award winning animated TV series Oswald on Nick Jr., Emmy winning Willa's Wildlife on NBC in Cubo, and character designs for the Backyardigans on Nickelodeon, as well as his many illustrated toys, games, and other children's products. Dan's internationally recognized art style has earned him a large following in Japan. Exhibits in New York, Los Angeles, Tokyo, and Bologna, and a visit to the White House. He is also a contributing children's book reviewer for the New York Times. Dan's work has been recognized with a host of prestigious awards, including the Bologna Ragazzi, the New York Times 10 Best Illustrated, ALA Notable, and the Parents' Choice Award. Over one and a half million of his books have been sold to date, which is amazing. Dan lives with his family in New York City and creates his quirky characters and stories in his studio full of vintage toys. The quote that I've chosen for this episode to bring us is, is a quote from CeeLo Green. And the quote is as follows. Antique things have an appreciation and worth. Something can be old, but it can be timeless. Therefore, it becomes an antique. If this antique is preserved and deemed precious, it could be passed down as a family heirloom. All right, now I'm excited to welcome internationally acclaimed author, illustrator, Dan Yaccarino onto the Italian American podcast. Dan, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Dan has 
worked on many, many books as an illustrator, one of them called All the Way to America, the story of a big Italian family and a little shovel that um, I got the chance to read to my kids and we're going to get into that book. But Dan, let's start just with you as a kid. Talk a little bit about growing up Italian-American. What was that Italian-American experience like for you? It's funny because when we're kids, you have no objectivity about that. So I just thought this is the way that everyone grew up. These are the you know things that everyone did on holidays and these are the things that all families valued. And right. it's almost like asking a fish, what's it like being in water? Yeah. You don't think about it. It just is. So I only started to think about that once I moved out, left home, you know, and had a little objectivity about it, had a different perspective. And so up until then, I just assumed everyone, you know, celebrated Christmas in the same way and everyone ate the same types of things for for dinner. And I didn't realize this, but only upon reflection and in comparison to other people and other families, my family talked really, really loud. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I didn't realize You that. too? That, that, <laughs> So you don't really think about it. You only know that you're or you have an idea that you may be talking louder when you're you're amongst a lot of people who aren't talking nearly as loud as you. And 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 I remember, you know, someone asking me, why are they all yelling at each other? I'm like, we're not yelling, we're talking. That's the normal tone of conversation. Exactly. And it was comparatively more dramatic and a lot of again, never thought about hand gestures. I talk with my hands. And you just have this experience that you assume everyone else has. Now, the only other window, because I grew up in a, you know, a largely Italian-American neighborhood, and the the only other nationalities that lived there were predominant, well, first it was Italian, and then it was maybe Irish, German, and there were a couple of Jewish kids I knew on my block. And that was, honestly, that was it. So as far as I was concerned, everyone had the same upbringing. And you were and, close to family, like you lived close to grandparents and family? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, when I was um, from birth to about 10, we lived in, <laughs> I think about it, it's, it's kind of crazy. We lived within a five minute drive, probably less, uh, both sets of grandparents. Yeah. And even less with my aunt and uncle and, and my cousins. So we were within walking distance, really, of each other. And it was kind of amazing to think back on that's what I had. And I was so absolutely fortunate to have grown up with two full sets of grandparents, both sides Italian. And I realized how valuable that was, you know, again, upon reflection. And that was my window into a totally different world. My grandfather was born in like 1897, right. you know, and, and that was pretty amazing thing to even contemplate in the 70s when I was growing up, that there's some guy that I have a relationship with, his grandpa, and he was born in the 1800s. Oh, my God. And none of them, unfortunately, none of them really spoke fluent. Italian. So the only thing I was left with learning was, you know, just a lot of words for food. And, <laughs> and that was really a profanity and food. That's really my vocabulary in, in the dialect that they spoke. So one side came 
from a town called Piano di Sorrento on my father's side, the Acarino side. And my mother's side came from a little town called Lavian in, outside of Naples, I think a little south of Naples, which was probably bombed out in World War II. So it may not even be there anymore. I don't know. But it's it was very similar in many, many ways to the Italian-American culture, meaning the dialect, the mannerism, the values, different things like that. And this is going to throw you when I tell you the show, the Sopranos, everything except the mafia aspect of it. Mm -hmm. The dialect that they, I guess, David Chase created the show. I don't remember his real name, but wherever his family came from yep. in Italy was where um, it's either near Sorrento or near Lavian. Uh, and, and then they settled in Nutley, New Jersey, which was where my grandparents lived. Wow. Yeah. So Nutley, it's amazing sure. to watch that show and see all of that. It's almost like somebody had a closed circuit camera. You know, I'm watching on a closed circuit TV of, of my relatives, except again, like I said, except for the, you know, the mafia aspect, but the way that they spoke and the, mannerisms and the hand gestures and all of that stuff was utterly familiar. So in that sense, it was very accurate. As far as depicting a mafia family, um, you know, I have mixed feelings of that. You know, it was very entertaining and compelling. But, you know, again, I have mixed feelings about our representation in the media. Sure. Uh, but that's a whole nother conversation. But growing up, if you would like to see a little bit of a window of what it was like for me, you watched the non-mafia parts of the, of the Sopranos. Yeah. And we celebrated holidays. You know, we had the seven fishes and we had, um, you know, no meat on Friday. And we had a lot of um, expressions. And my kids make fun of me. I have two children. They're teenagers. And they make fun of me when I get very – and I don't even know I'm doing this at this point – that you know, when I get very exasperated, I go, Maronna me, what are you doing? Yeah. I, I get that from my father. It just comes out. I think that's this kind of latent uh, gene that kicked in where, you're, you know, now that I'm getting older, that I'm becoming an old Italian guy, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, and, and you know, you make a lot of good points there, especially the ones around like The Sopranos. We've had a lot of guests that have told us similar things like The Sopranos or The Godfather movies as much as... You know, in one sense, they kind of cast a little bit of a black eye on the community. In right. another sense, it reminds a lot of the things in the movies remind people of their families, of the traditions, of right. the things that they did. So, you know, there's right. some there's some positives to, to those outlets as well for that. And it's interesting because I, I me too. I mean, I have young kids and it's kind of like. I mean, like in the middle, you know, it's like the parents and the grandparents were probably considered very Italian. And here I am like with some of that. And then my kids with a lot less of that. Right. So they're kind of like, you know, they, they don't totally get it, but you try to help them get as much as you can. But so I'm interested to talk to you about your career, Dan, because I know through reading your book and some other parts of your website yeah. that, you know, your family, you know, it was farming or barbershop. They were yeah. into labor and you became an artist. And I know that our generations are, you know, started to branch out, right? They started yeah. to do different things, started to do more creative things. Right. And I think it was probably hard for some families to accept that in some ways it was good to see change, but what was your experience when you, your parents knew that you were going in that direction. What was their response? 
Well, I think it was now that I am a parent, I remember talking to them about wanting to go to art school in Manhattan, where I, you know, where I now have lived for about 30 years. And they were, they were pretty hip. I have to say my parents were pretty hip, but they were nervous about it. And I think that just comes from any parent who's saying, you know, you go to your parents and say, hi, I want to be a ventriloquist or that, you know, like, oh, oh, can't you think of something else to do that's a little more steady than, you know, I think that they had normal reservations as any parent would have, regardless of your culture. But it, you're absolutely right. My father, well, he started off as a barber and then he, you know, ran his own business. He was also, you know, owned a couple of buildings and different things like that. So he did elevate himself. My grandfather, his father, uh, as in the book, as it says in the All the Way to America, he had a, a market and then his father was actually a pushcart peddler. And so you're right. You're absolutely right. It has that almost classic progression of the immigrant progression of coming to this country largely uneducated. I have no idea what my great-grandfather's level of education was or if he had any whatsoever. And then your my grandfather, and then he had, you know, I think he went up to high school perhaps. And then my father went up to high school, went to the army and became, you know, sort of a self-made guy. And then I was the first, my brother and my sister, you know, we were the first generation to go to college in our family. So it was a big deal. It was a very big deal. And I think that it does speak to that hard work and that value, uh, valuing education, but they had to do all the heavy, literally, you know, the heavy lifting before that, the couple of generations here, which is, again, a classic immigrant story where you're now able to pursue this thing that you don't, you know, necessarily feel like you have to pursue. You know, you have more options. You, you could be, you know, not necessarily labor, you know, included in having any kind of labor or anything like that. It, it could be this sort of high-minded thing like what I do for a living, writing and illustrating and producing television, which I think would have been completely unheard of even in my father's generation if he went and said to his parents, this is what I want to do. In fact, my father was and aspired to be very early on a musician. Oh, wow. And uh, he had a couple of bands before he went to the Army. And then while he was in the Army, you know, he was stationed in Alaska. And he had a band, and they would gig around areas around the base. He was in Anchorage. And so he made a living. You know, he made money doing it. And he came back, and that's what he wanted to pursue. Except my grandfather kind of nixed it. He said, yeah. no, it's just not practical enough. Why don't you learn, you know, a good trade that, you know, will never not be needed. And, and so my father went to the Atlas Barber School on the Bowery back in the 50s in Manhattan. But he expanded. To his credit, he did expand, you know, what he did for a living. And that paved the way for myself, where I didn't feel obligated to go into his business, although that was, a, was an option. But he would say to me, look, this is my thing. The thing that I do, you know, the career I have, and the work that I do, this is mine. I want you to do the thing that you should do. And I had that support. And I was very, very fortunate that I had that support, even though it was this kind of kooky, weird thing that I wanted to, you wanted to draw pictures and they pay you. I, remember I told like some relative when I started working, you know, I started doing illustration work for magazines and I explained what, <laughs> what I did. I was doing illustration work for magazines and he looked at me and he said, and they pay you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, 
it's a reasonable response when you're coming from people who, you know, spent their lives toiling in, in some level of labor. Right. You know, it just seemed crazy to them. Like you draw pictures and they give you money. I'm like, yeah, I figured it out. Yeah, I figured out how to do the thing I would have done for free, except I got paid for it. You know, so it was I think that's a major jump. You know, like that's that's a major step. And the progress of generations is that you now can, and and hopefully my children will. They have the freedom to do that. You know, my son's in college, my daughter's still in high school, and my son is figuring out what he wants to do. What a luxurious position my great grandfather put us in. Right. Him, you know, it's really due to him. You know, he he set the ball rolling by probably crowding in some apartment they they actually lived above a fruit and vegetable store that he managed on west 63rd street and worked hard every day and then you know had my grandfather who you know got his work ethic from him and my father and i know i have you know a pretty strong work ethic myself and i hope to pass that along to my son but it really came from my great-grandfather sure yeah for sure and and let's talk about that so You've had an accomplished career. I, I did your intro earlier. You've yeah. had a lot of accomplishments. You've worked with big publishers, TV, um, big stations. And, you know, you decided to write this book, All the Way to America, the story of a big Italian family and a little shovel. And I'm just wondering, you know, like how that came about. I mean, you you did a lot at that point. So it must have been something that inspired you to, to go down this path. Yeah. If you look at my books... I mean, look, any writer is going to write what they know and they know themselves. So, you know, any writer is really kind of, in a sense, writing about themselves to a certain degree. So I've done some books that were kind of thinly veiled autobiographical stories and characters and things like that. But this was the first time, really, that I ever thought, I want to do a book about my family. And uh, it was very specific. So I had this idea in my head for years and years and years and years, but I never knew how to connect the generations. The story was just a series of vignettes from one, you know, my great-grandfather to my grandfather to my father to me to my son, who was very young at the time. And I had no connective tissue to connect these generations. Well, when I first moved out of my parents' house a long time ago, I was I recall this distinctly. I was packing up some boxes, I was packing up some art supplies, and I distinctly recall going into the garage. And in the garage was sort of this kind of like a vat, and it had rock salt in it. Hmm. And that was what my father spent on the driveway. Well, what he used was this metal shovel. And I recall as a kid, he told me that was your grandfather's shovel. He used it in his market, you know, just as I depicted in the book. And for some weird reason, I took the shovel and put it in the boxes, one of the boxes, and moved to Manhattan and and it just sat on shelf after shelf after, you know, all the different apartments I lived in. Hmm. And when I was contemplating this book, I looked up at the shovel and the whole thing came together. Now, some books that I create a black and white version of, you know, a book dummy, which is what you use to essentially pitch the book to an editor or whoever. I usually take maybe a couple of months to put a book dummy together. Well, this book, the story had been in my head for so long that it took me maybe two days to put together the whole dummy. Wow. It had been just waiting to come out. And I sent it to my literary agent, and she got back to me immediately and said, this 
is great. I love this project. And then I started to get nervous and I felt like this is way too personal. Right. You know, first draft, I didn't edit it. I just wrote out the whole thing and drew some sketches to go along with the text. And I'm thinking, oh, uh, uh, wait, 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 maybe, maybe we, maybe I should work on it. Some more. She says, no, 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 no. I'm sending it to your editor at Random House. And I tried to stop her. And she called me back less than an hour later and said, you got a contract. Wow. That never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's something about that, that it was so personal and so specific, which was my reservation. Who wants to read about my particular family? This is way too specific. This is way too personal. But since the book has come out, I'd say I'd say this book would be maybe I get the most or at least the second most emails about from people. And I get email after email saying this was my family story. And a lot of times they're not Italian either. You know, it just is this kind of classic immigrant story that loads of families have gone through. And I kept thinking this is too personal. I don't want to put it out there because nobody's going to be able to relate to it. And it ends up, it became more universal, the more personal it, you know, it became in draft after draft of working with my editor. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of exactly like, the reason I asked you that question before, Dan, was because, yeah. you know, I agree with you, you know, people like to write about themselves and I have a bookshelf, you know, from doing the podcast, I have a bookshelf of books from Italian Americans. That's what they're doing. They're writing about their family history and themselves. And a lot of them times they're self-published and which is fine. I mean, I think everybody should write their family story. It's important, but you have this platform and you have all the work with these publishers and to me, even though it seems like a natural thing to write about, I would think that it would be a harder book to pitch because it is so personal and so specific. But it's funny that, that you had like the opposite experience. Right. I really was not anticipating that. I was thinking, oh, they'll give me a very nice pass on the book. And, right. you know, I had this little exercise of writing this thing out and ended up that they wanted it. And it, it's very strange, still kind of strange. I sort of cognitively understand why, but emotionally I don't understand it still completely. So it, it's kind of a weird, I'm happy and I'm, trust me, every book that I publish, I am so grateful to be able to do that. But this book in particular, because it reflects so many personal aspects I am particularly thankful for the book. Well, were you surprised when they got back to you so quickly and accepted it? Completely. That's never happened since. Like I said, never happened before that. Right. Never happened since. And I don't have any more stories like that. So, you know, I pretty much, that's it. I wrote the story of my family. And again, I had this desire to do it for at least 15 years. And I never wrote anything down. It just rattled around in my head until it struck me as to how to connect all those generations together. Hmm. And why do you think, Dan, that they were so interested in this so quickly as opposed to like the other projects you worked on? Like, did they say, did they give you any hint? I mean, it's just interesting to me. It's really, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, listen, obviously as an Italian American, someone that hosts the Italian American podcast, I think it's wonderful. I think people should read the book to their kids for sure. But it's yeah. like, I agree with you. I would have been kind of surprised. I'm glad it happened. Jeez. It's yeah. interesting. I think maybe that it is the fact that it's nonfiction, like there's no disputing it. You know, if I came in with a story 
fictionalized version of a generic immigrant or, or anything, you know, story about a, an animal or something, you know, it's up for grabs creatively. It's really sort of, it can go in any direction. I think maybe because this was so concrete in the fact that it was fact, it is what it is. There was just, it's, it, it is what it is. And so you want it or you don't want it. I right. can't change the story of my family. I can change the sort of the way that I'm telling it. I can change the emphasis or the angle on it. But honestly, this this is pretty much it. So I think that may have had to do with, you know, the fact that they agreed to do it so quickly. Not as quickly, but I did do a book with the, you know, same publisher, um, a picture book biography of Jacques Cousteau. Hmm. And so, again, there are facts in his life. There are aspects of it that you want to highlight that anyone writing a book about him is going to want to highlight. So, again, I think it's being that it's fairly concrete, either you want it or you don't want it. I think either way I would have gotten a direct, quick answer, a yes or a no. Right. Yeah. And just, you know, for those of you listening, the book All the Way to America, you know, kind of as we've been talking about, does detail Dan's family history going back to Italy and each generation has this same shovel that gets passed down to them. And when I read it to my kids, they love the shovel aspect of it. Of course, I'm sure that's one of the things that the publisher liked is that there's like, you know, there's always like a storyline in there. And, and then when you finish the book and we turn the page and there's a picture of Dan there in his office holding the actual shovel, <laughs> the kids, <laughs> the kids love that. They were like, Oh wow, dad, it's real. Look, it's real. Right. It's um, real. And that's the funny thing. I get that a lot. Is it real? You know, I'll yeah. visit schools and they'll do a unit on family history or ancestry or whatever. And they'll always ask me, is it real? And that I think is kind of cool that it has this kind of, life in the book that it is kind of striking. Yeah, it is a real thing. It really, you know, had been handed down. So I like that part that kids almost look at it as fiction in a way. It's just nice because then, of course, I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of different families sort of journey to this country. And this country is so unique in that sense where our identity is because of so many different cultures coming together rather than a culture merging with an existing identity or culture. You know, we're sort of almost in a sense a blank slate that continues to change. And mm. that's sort of the beauty of it is that we define it from where we came from and add a little bit to it. I don't think many other cultures can make that claim. For sure, for sure. How did your kids respond to the book? Well, when their friends would come over, they'd want to see the shovel. Oh. <laughs> they didn't believe it was real either. And, you know, the kids are in the book. I mean, they're, like I said, now they're teenagers, right. but they, they take, weirdly take it in stride. You know, they think it's okay. They don't make a big deal about it because I'm dad. You know, I'm just Dan. And they call me Dan, by the way. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm just the father that I might as well do anything for a living. And they just, they don't... Look, I'm not comparing myself to Barack Obama, but I'm sure when Barack Obama cracked a bad joke at dinner, both of those kids rolled their eyes and said, Yeah, right. Bad. Not that he's the leader of the free world. He's like, Oh, it's just daddy's so embarrassing. <laughs> so it doesn't matter to them that, you know, I've written and illustrated all these books. It doesn't matter to them that I 
produce television shows that their friends have seen only when it matters only when one of their friends asks about it. So I occasionally will get a text from my daughter or my son, you know, asking about Oswald, the octopus or the backyardigans or something like that, because they're, they no doubt told their friends. And of course they'd never do this in front of, you know, know, they don't want to show their cards there, you know, so I know they must be referring to it somehow to their friends. And then I'll get a text. How many episodes were there with the, you know, whatever, who played the, you know, who did the voice of so-and-so, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's fun. Did they know the history before you wrote the book? Like, or was it like really their first exposure to the whole story? Well, they were pretty young when I first did the artwork. You know, it takes about a year even after I finish the artwork for the book for it to get published. So, you know, you're talking when they were, you know, less than six or seven years old. But they can read the book. I read the book to them. They have a sense where they see the shovel on the shelf. They have a sense of the family in that in that regard, I really wish that my well, my mother's a great Italian grandma. She's she's wonderful. My father passed away about over twenty years ago, so they never knew mm. my dad, but he would have been a great link closer to the purer version of the culture for them as my grandfather was for me. So I think that they're certainly missing out a, a bit not having him around, although my mother does pick up the slack quite a bit and feeds them like crazy when yeah. they go to visit her. And they'll ask my mother when she comes drive into the city, Grandma, could you get some mozzarella, please? The good yeah. kind. <laughs> and they love that. So it's nice that at least that sense has remained my mother's connection. They don't have as much as I did, to be quite honest. They, right. they have a little less. They're only half Italian. So they don't really have that kind of pure experience that I did. And the older I get, the more I appreciate, you know, the more that I recognize how valuable it was to have grown up in a fairly close-knit family with support system and a strong sense of culture. Although I'm sure a couple of generations back, they would have looked at us like a bunch of medigans. You know, what are you eating that? Or why don't you do this? Or why don't you go to church every Wednesday or whatever it was that they did that we didn't do? Right. But I do, as I move ahead in life, I realize how valuable that is. And I have been, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but I have been just starting to pursue dual citizenship oh, wow. with Italy. So I'm just starting to gather documentation, birth certificates and death certificates and things like that. So I think that that would be a nice thing to be able to give to my children, you sure. know, the ease of travel and if they want to go to school out there, and very easy and a couple of other benefits of being a citizen, although it takes quite a bit of time sure. to get together. But I, I've already been researching my family. I've done a family tree years ago. So, you know, now I've gone online with, you know, some websites and fill all the information. And it's exciting and it's a lot of fun. I learned a couple of things I never knew. We hear stories repeated over and over and over through generations. And then you, you stumble onto <laughs> to some kind of official official document stating, you know, the total opposite of what you thought, you know. So it's I am learning a lot about my family. And even through these sort of official documents, there is a sense of humanity in there. I mean, you can sense it. You can feel it. Absolutely, you know, yeah. There's people the- struggled and, and there was a lot of people under one household and, you know, these census records. And it is pretty amazing to, to just go through that stuff. And this, you know, little journey that I'm on 
with the dual citizenship. Yeah, for sure. And, and actually, I think everything you just said here in the last few minutes is why books like your book, All the Way to America, are really important because each generation everyone they're just less italian right because they're more removed from italy and so like just like with my kids which is why i brought them back there a couple Mm -hmm. summers ago because it's kind of our in my opinion it's kind of our responsibility to give them access to their italian heritage and let them learn about it and i think it's not easy for everyone to do it but if there's more tools out there whether it's a podcast or whether it's a kid's book or you know whatever it is all these tools together i think are what can help us to kind of pass the traditions along you know and that's that's why we started the podcast and that's what made me really excited to learn about your book which again is great so dan can you tell us i know some of these may be secrets but are there any projects you're working on that you can tell us about (laughs) um let's see i'm in the midst of creating some artwork for a new picture book called giant tess about a giant that should come out in 2019. I'm in the midst of developing two different animated series, uh, one with DreamWorks and one with the Fred Rogers Company, who was Mr. Rogers' production company. And we're developing it. We're talking to some broadcasters. So those are in the works. There could be some feature films down the line. So my career has been sort of an even mix of all of those things, film and TV and publishing, as well as um, illustrating and equally, and and actually to tell you the truth, maybe even more so uh, writing. So, you know, I'm writing books and I'm also writing television scripts and developing shows and writing screenplays. So the writing is really, I wouldn't say has taken over, but it's probably like maybe 65 45 or 35 there you go with with that so the balance has changed used to be mostly illustration and now it's more writing but i do cherish the time that i get to sit down and do some artwork you know it's just so what a treat for me to be able to do that mostly it's meetings and you know phone calls and and a lot of draft after draft of scripts and different things like that so but again that's sort of the mix those are the things that are coming up. I'm hoping to get a chapter book series off the ground. Wow, you're uh, busy, Dan. You're not slowing down, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't sleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, but the thing is, I feel so very fortunate to be able to do what I do and to be able to, you know, also make a living at it and, and, and support a family doing it. So every day that I, I get to write or illustrate or work on a show. I, I'm, I'm very, very grateful. And again, through these, doing the family research and doing, you know, the research I did for the book, but also continue to do research, you know, in my genealogy, I see that I owe a great debt to my ancestors. Without them, I would not, I would not be doing what I'm, I'm doing. I would not be living where I'm living. I would not be able to afford my my children the opportunities and options that they have. So I certainly owe great debt to my family and, of course, my great-grandfather for coming here in the first place and just having that really good work ethic and values. You know, it's always, you know this, it's always family first, always family first. Sure, exactly. Uh, I try my best to pass that on to the kids. 
Well, Dan Yaccarino, thank you for spending some time with us on the Italian American podcast. Dan, I believe all of your books and everything is listed on your website at danyaccarino.com, correct? Yaccarinostudio.com. Yaccarinostudio.com. And you can see the All the Way to America book on there. There's a trailer for the book, a video trailer for the book. And I'm telling you, you've got to get All the Way to America and read it to your kids because it it is going to teach them about Italian immigrants coming here, all of our ancestors coming here, and and the shovel and everything's great, and they're going to love it. And again, Dan, thanks for spending the time. We'll definitely keep in touch and kind of keep track of, of what you're working on. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I had a wonderful time. Thank you. It is now time for the Italian American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, or we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives. Or even read something that a listener submitted. Again, this is the part of the show where we want to take you back. And in today's segment, I get the chance to talk with Thomas Gambino. And Thomas is a really, really interesting guy. I met him a few months ago through an introduction from someone in our new neighborhood. And he told me this story about a dream that he had that literally took him back to Sicily. Unbelievable dream. And so I had to have him on the podcast to tell you his dream and tell you his story. And here it is. All right. Now I want to welcome Thomas Gambino onto the Italian American podcast. He is the author of The Scattered Italians Reflections on a Heroic Journey. Tommaso, welcome. Yes. Grazie. Good to be here with you. So we hooked up through Zach, who's in Hawaii. Zach's been a, he's been a force in Hawaii. We had him on the podcast as well. He's doing great things for the Italian American community there. He introduced me to Thomas and Thomas, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and kind of what led you to becoming an author on topics in the Italian American realm. Well, you know, I'm not really a writer by choice, but I had a story to tell. I was born in the United States. I'm a second generation Italian American However, in my case, I was brought up by my matrilineal grandfather, who was a Sicilian, and my mom, who was a first-generation American. So I grew up in sort of a mixed inheritance kind of a family. Generally spoke English, but the orders were always in the Sicilian dialect, if you understand. So I grew up with this double-in uh, double kind of personality And in many ways, it was a plus. And in many ways, it was a a real challenge. I mean, who really, who who was I? Was I an Italian? Or was I an American? Or was I something in between? I I guess you have very much the same feelings, I'm assuming. And and why do we do what we do and the way we do it? Um, There must be reasons. And I was thinking, as I got older, that there were norms and rules that were handed down to me by my native Grand, Native Italian grandfather, which really made me think about his way of looking at life. But of course, my mother was very American, so I had her way. So when something happened, how did I react? As an Italian? As an American? What? So, you know, that could be very vexing at times. But nonetheless, I thought that I really need to know more about my inheritance. Grandfather died, I was in college. And I decided to take a year and find him again in Italy. And before doing that, I thought, well, I need to learn the language. 
in order to really get and drill down on really what he was all about. So I went to the University of Perugia. It's called the University for Foreigners. And there I, I learned to speak Italian. Within three months, I was rudimentary. Within six months, I was speaking pretty well. After a year, I could just do about anything in Italian. I really couldn't write so well. I always got my E's and my I's mixed up. <laughs> but, but I could speak the language, Tony. That was the big thing. Right. That was that made that was a, a huge a huge thing. I wasn't the tourist. I was a, a card holding Italian student, uh, and I could speak the language somewhat. So you know, I I was able to then go to Sicily with a feeling that I'll understand what I'll, what I see. And sure enough, I should preface this by saying that when he passed on, I. Um, I was oftentimes getting a dream which repeated itself. Now, now, fact, now Thomas, this is your, you're talking yeah. about your grandfather now or your... My patrilineal, right. My, my grandfather. Matrilineal, sorry, my matrilineal grandfather. Who right, came from you know. Sicily in, in, this, in a small Correct. town in Sicily, right? Okay. All right, go ahead. Right. Yeah. And so he brought me up in a very rural Sicilian kind of way. But there was my mom who was an American. So I had the two. It was like a minestra, you know, it was really mixed up. My dear cousins were very close to me, but they were American. They didn't understand what my grandfather was saying. When he said, sit down in Sicilian, they didn't understand that. I did. Right. <laughs> and I sat down, by the way, and didn't move. So it was a whole different thing. I, mean, I, I loved them. We spoke the same language together. But they lived by the Anglo-American rules, and I lived by a mix of rules. Some were Anglo-American, some were Italian or Sicilian, and some were a mix of both. So, so you were close to, to him. 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 You were close to your grandfather. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So here's the, here's the dream, and, and it, was, it was an amazing thing. So he passed on, was, and then you started having the dreams, right? Immediately. immediately. I, okay. was, I was in college. I was in college. I was like 22 years old, I guess, something like that. Okay. And he, he passed away, and it was, it was very, very, uh, as you can imagine, a moving event for me. And I started getting this dream. The dream was very simple. I, I found myself at the foot of a, of a mountain, and I started walking up this lane, kind of, not even a road, but sort of a lane, uh, going up to the top of the mountain. And on the top of this mountain was a little town called Juliana. And as I was walking up in the province of Palermo, uh, of, uh, of Palermo. As I was going up, I, I felt this hot sun beating on my face and, and the cool air also caressing my body. So it kept me going. And I got into the town, a very little town, and to the right was the, the proverbial municipio, the city hall. Uh, there was a, a lovely church, and there was a bar to the left, un bar italiano, an Italian bar, right. bar. Yeah. And I decided I didn't want to go into that bar, but my feet in the dream now started walking in that direction involuntarily. I wasn't, I wasn't saying feet move. They moved. Right. And, they, and I got near the bar, and I went through this, the, the doorway. We had this uh, bead, beaded doorway. And I opened up the beaded doorway, and there was my grandfather. Hmm. And he looked at me with that look when I wasn't doing the right thing. And he said, but finally you got here. Hmm. And that was the end of the dream. Now, this is before you'd ever been to Sicily, correct? Never was there. Okay. But he must have told me stories about it. So, I mean, how would I, how would I know all of this? Right. You know, over dinner and, and, and so forth. Well, I finally got 
to Juliana one day. I jumped the bus. I was in Palermo. I jumped the bus, got down to Juliana, three hours of, of rickety driving. And the bus driver, I was the last one on the bus. The bus driver said, hey, this is Juliana. And I said, where? He said, up on that mountain. I said, oh, my God, this is the dream. <laughs> and there was this road. Yeah, no, no, Tony, true, all true. And there was this road. So I started walking up the road and the sun and the cool air, the whole deal. I got into the, uh, the, the center of town with the piazza, and to the right, there was the municipio, and there was the church, and there was the bar. I mean, it's very, very spooky. So I said, well, I'm not going to go to that bar, but of course, my feet were going in that direction. So I figured, let me go into this bar. I got into the bar. I, I probably scared everyone. It was probably on noontime, <laughs> and I, I came back, burst into the bar. And, you know, the people drinking coffee there were saying, who, who is this crazy one? And my grandfather wasn't there. But, Tony, I was. Right. I had closed the circle. Right. And I haven't had that dream since. Wow. So that's what really got me to go to Italy. I was planning on doing a whole other thing. And when I went there and I, I found this place, and then I found his uh, sister and and all of that, and, wow. and the land that he owned. and That's amazing. Um, well, there was no uh, hotel there in this little town, so I, I slept in the barn with <laughs> the donkeys. <laughs> yeah, no. The donkeys, well, look, these big brown eyes they have. Ew, ew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, what is this? Yeah, and, you know, I just fell in love with the place. That's and, just, uh, am it's just amazing. Part. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, listen, like you said, he probably he probably told you about his childhood uh, yeah. re repeatedly, and you must have, you know, subconsciously had the dream about it, and then sure enough, you real you realized it, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah, well, I guess that's what happened. I'm thinking that's the only thing that happened. But then again, we could really think that maybe my grandfather from up above was telling me, hey, Sh sure, go find this town because this is what you're all about. And by doing that, then I realized that, you know, I'm more than just an Italian-American kid from Brooklyn. I'm really an Italian at heart and also an American, both. I, I had the American culture down pat. I didn't have the Italian culture down pat. And I had a lot to learn. And, uh, and I did. And in the book, The Scattered Italians, I write about this episode. And I write about my grandfather growing up. And he was a child uh, of... Uh, of nature. He uh, had uh, some lands that his father owned, and his father would send him out to go out and take care of the sheep. So he was a sheep herder. And, and uh, at night, he, uh, he had these three dogs, uh, Bardaco, Principessa, and Vespa. I remember these names. Hmm. And, and in those days, there were still wolves in Sicily, and the wolves would come down to try to take out the, the sheep, and he'd be out there with the dogs, and and uh, sometimes the dogs would lose the battle, so he had his lupana, which is a shot of shotgun, and shoot down the wolf and all that. Right. And he tell me these stories, and it just stuck in my head. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, that's really great. Amazing. That's great. Well, Thomas, listen, thank you for taking some time to share that really special story with us. We really appreciate it. 
hope you enjoyed our first episode of 2018 with Dan and Thomas. I really enjoyed the conversations with them. Remember to connect with us on Instagram at Italian American, Twitter at Ital American, and Facebook at the Italian American Podcast. And if you want to check out our new neighborhood, our community, it's growing, it's intimate, we're having so much fun and we're meeting people, just go to italianneighborhood.com. Buon anno.